All right. Good to be back with you this morning. How's everybody doing? Good, good. That's okay. You can say it back. That's fine. We talk here, okay? Uh, Let me ask you a question to start off with. If you were to ask the world what the church's favorite verse is, what do you think they'd say? John 3.16, right? That's the pretty obvious choice. If you were to ask the world, what is an athlete's favorite verse? You have to think about this one for a second. What is it? Philippians 4.13, right? You see it on all the eye black, every baseball player and football player. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Somehow that lets them win a baseball game or a football game. So that's their favorite verse. It's okay to miss that one. If you were to ask the world, though, what is their favorite verse? What do you think they'd say? I don't believe in God. I don't have a favorite verse. Why would you ask me such a silly question? I'm not even religious. I couldn't quote you a Bible verse, but that's not true, is it? That's not true at all. And there's a good way to test this. You can do it for yourself if you are so brave. Here's what you got to do, okay? Uh, What you want to do is you have a conversation with an unbeliever or post on social media. And this is what you say. You say something along the lines of homosexuality is a sin. Abortion is murder. Cohabitation and premarital sex are sins, and these things should not be applauded or encouraged but repented of. It'll take about two seconds for them to show you what their favorite Bible verse is, even though they didn't realize it was their favorite Bible verse. What are they going to say? Judge not! Judge not that ye be not judged, because for some reason they only know it in the KJV, which is strange since they don't even read the Bible. But anyways, all that to say, it's their favorite verse, and they love to throw it back in your face, and they know the verse, judge not, but they don't know the context of it, do they? They don't know where it comes from. They couldn't give you the reference, but here's what's going to happen. If you do anything that they disagree with, if you say anything they disagree with, or anything they like or believe, If you say anything that rubs them the wrong way, anything that goes against what is currently, culturally approved and accepted, they're immediately going to think you judgmental and they're going to condemn you. And ironically, they're going to do it by throwing a Bible verse in your face. Judge not. You see, this verse is one of, if not the, most misunderstood and abused verses in the entire Bible today. People have no idea what it actually means, but they love to use it. They, many people will use it to justify their sins. They know that they're living in sin. They know that they're doing things that are wrong. And what do they say? Judge not. In other words, you can't judge me. I, I'm doing fine. Only God can judge me. And anytime someone says that, I always want to be like, and he will. Do you, do you not understand that? Like, I, I wouldn't be boasting about that. That's a scary, scary idea to be thinking about. Other people use this verse to condemn others who would speak out against sin. So if a Christian is actually lovingly confronting sin in the world and addressing it and trying to warn people about the wrath to come for sin, people are going to step in and go, hey, 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 judge not. Doesn't your Bible say that? They're going to condemn anyone who's going to confront sin. So what do we do with that? <laughs> like, what does this verse actually mean? What is Jesus saying here? Well, what he's doing is he's saying that there's a problem. There's a problem that exists in the world today. There's a problem that exists in the church today, and it's not a new problem, unfortunately. It's a problem that's existed ever since the inception of mankind, and that's the fact that too often we try to steal the judge's gavel, don't we? We like to sit sit ourselves in the seat of the judge, 
take his gavel, and then pronounce our own verdicts on the world and on every person that we don't like and every person who rubs us the wrong way and just gets under our skin and on our nerves. We want to be in the judge's seat, holding the judge's gavel and say, here's what I think about you. Here's my pronouncement of judgment. It's yet another way that we are saying we don't need God because I can do this myself. I can put myself in the place of God. We're trying to make ourselves to be God. And so here's what I want you to understand about these verses. Here's Jesus' whole point here. He's saying just judgment requires careful consideration. We just heard him say, judge not that you won't be judged. I want you to understand the whole passage here is about this one point. Just judgment requires careful consideration. And you might be confused because you're like, hold on a second, Pastor. Jesus just said, don't judge. And now you're saying we can judge as long as we consider. That seems to be in conflict. So, so what do we need to consider then? And I'm glad you asked. That's actually our, our question for the day, right? What do we need to consider before we judge? Because there are a few things that we do need to consider before we judge and as we judge. And the first thing we need to consider is basically how we judge. Notice what he says there in verse 1. He says, judge not that you be not judged. You have to understand that people in our world are always going to do whatever they want to do. And they don't care what a Christian has to say about it. So when a Christian comes along and tries to warn them about their sin and tell them about the reality of their sin and the wrath that's coming for sin, a person in the world is going to know this verse and then quote it back in the Christian and say, judge not. And their whole point is this, I can do what I want. Who are you to judge me? Right? And that's a good question. Who are we to judge anybody? If we're going to answer that question, we have to know, well, what does Jesus actually mean when he says the word judge here? What is he referring to when he says judge? Because it's interesting. There are a whole number of Greek words Jesus could have used to pick here for the word judge, but he chose a very particular one. This word in the Greek, it specifically refers to judgment and a judgment of condemnation. It's a specific type of judgment that is offering a verdict of condemnation on another person. And so it, 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 Jesus is not saying here that Christians are never to judge anything in anybody. Because obviously we have to make judgment calls every day, right? Like you, you want a glass of milk, you go to your fridge, you notice the milk is three days expired. Time to take a sniff and make a judgment call, right? Do I drink it? Do I not drink it? I would not, okay? Even if it gets a day within, I'm throwing that out. So, so obviously, he's not saying you can't judge in any situation. Jesus himself even tells us to judge. John seven twenty four. he says, Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. It's interesting, that word right there is the same word for just, which is where I'm getting this. Just judgment requires careful consideration. Jesus wants his people, us as his followers, to be a people who were offering just, right judgments. What he's condemning here is that condemnation. That, that looking at another person and having that critical, hateful spirit seeing what they're struggling with, seeing their sins, taking the judge's gavel and go, I pronounce you a sinner who is without hope. You're going to hell. Jesus says, hold on a second. 
Who are you to do that? That is not what I'm calling you to do. That's actually what's forbidden here. Jesus has no problem with his people evaluating. He has a serious problem, though, with his people condemning. And that's the first thing I want you to understand here. Christian judgment involves evaluation, not condemnation. Christian judgment involves evaluation, not condemnation. In other words, Jesus has no problem with you looking at the world and people in it and making evaluations, making assessments about them. Jesus has no problem with you as his people confronting sin and addressing sin. He actually calls us to do that. And I think more people in the world need to be courageous enough to actually step up and do that. But Jesus has a serious problem with seeing someone who is in the world, who is dead in their sins, who is struggling with sin, and condemning them as if you were God, and you were the judge, and you were seated in the judge's seat, and you hold the gavel, and you have the right to make that pronouncement of condemnation. That is what he has a serious problem with. To condemn someone as if there is no hope and no gospel. And the worst part about this Besides the fact that we're trying to kick God out of his chair, his judgment seat, and put ourselves in it, is the fact that Christians are supposed to have an entirely new perspective on the world and on others. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 5.16. He said, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Paul's saying here that because Jesus has saved sinners as bad as us, Paul's for a second, church, let's never forget how bad we are and were, right? We want to put ourselves in the judgment seat and condemn others. Let's not be the hypocrites that we're going to talk about later, okay? We're just as bad. It may be in different ways, but just as bad. And Paul's saying here, as those whom Jesus has saved and given new life to, we've also received a new perspective. We no longer look at other people in the world and judge them with worldly, fleshly judgments. That's how the unsaved judge people. Paul says a Christian is going to judge in a different way. Christians aren't to look at people and judge them based on how they dress. Based on if they have tattoos. Based on their financial situation based on their level of education, based on the neighborhood they live in or the kind of car they drive, based on whether they've ever done something that upsets you, based on whether they've ever done something or said something that hurt your feelings. All of these things are worldly, fleshly judgments that have no place in the Christian life. Paul says that if you are truly born again, you are to look at other people and realize that the reason they are the way that they are The reason they do the things they do, the reason they say the things they say, is because they are dead in their sins. The reason that they're doing all this is because they are enslaved to sin, as we once were, church. And so, of course, sinners are going to sin. How dare us condemn them to hell when God didn't do that to us when we were still dead in our sins? How hypocritical. How That has no place in the Christian life for us to look at others and say, oh, you're sinning, you deserve hell. Where have you been? (laughs) Do you not remember your entire life up to Jesus? Do you not remember your life after Jesus? Because let's not pretend like we're perfect now, okay? Paul is saying here, 
why would we ever look at other people and condemn them when God looked at us and offered us mercy and grace? He says it has no place in the Christian life. We, we should look at people and understand that no matter how bad their sin is, no matter how dead in their sin they seem, there is not a single person on this earth today who is beyond the saving grace of God in Christ. I don't care what their sin is. I don't care if they're on death row right now. If a person will turn from his sins and trust in Jesus Christ, that person will be saved today. So don't let Christians look at other people and condemn them as if we have the right to send them to hell. Only God has that right. And as far as I checked, he's still sending out mercy and grace in Christ. Amen? And thankfully, Jesus modeled for us what this idea of evaluation without condemnation looks like. It comes from one of my favorite stories in the Gospels. Uh, you remember the time when Jesus was talking with the woman at a well? It's, it's not a story that we tell too often in Sunday school. But it's, it's a lot more controversial than we, we make it out to be. But, but Jesus is talking with the woman at a well, and she's from Samaria. And in the midst of their conversation, at one point Jesus goes, Oh, hey, real quick, could you just go get your husband and then come back and we'll all talk together? And she's like, Well, I don't, I don't actually have a husband. He's like, You're right. You've had five. And the guy that you're with now, sleeping with, living with, he's not your husband either, is he? Now, she could have stopped right there. And if she was living in our world today, she would have. And she would have said, hold on a second. Who are you to judge me? Have you not heard of that traveling rabbi that everyone respects who said, judge not? Maybe you should pay attention to his words. Who are you to judge me and condemn me? But here's the great thing about that whole story, and I love it so much, is that Jesus wasn't condemning her, was he? He was addressing her sin and calling out her sin, which we're all called to do. He was saying, I know who you are. I know where you are in life right now. I know what you're struggling with. I know what you're going through. I know what you're dealing with. I know your past. I know your present. I know your future. I know everything. And yet he doesn't condemn her. What he says to her is, hey, listen, you come here to this well because you want some water to drink. And here's what's going to happen. You're going to drink that water and then you're going to get thirsty again. And he said, but if you would just ask me, I would give you living water. And anyone who drinks the water that I give them will never be thirsty again. In other words, he was saying, yes, you might be in the depths and the depravity of your sin right now, but you come to me and there is hope and there is life and there is mercy and there is grace. That's evaluation without condemnation. And I thank the Lord that he demonstrated that for us. It's making proper assessments of where people are, but rather than condemning them to hell, offering them the hope that is found in Christ. And so Jesus is not forbidding all forms of judgment here. He's forbidding a certain spirit. A self-righteous, critical spirit that seeks to condemn other people. I want you to hear me on this, church. Critical, judgmental spirits have no place amongst God's people. If you have truly been born again, the Bible says this. The Bible says that Jesus has come and He has removed that old heart of stone from your body. And in its place, praise the Lord, we now have hearts of flesh. In other words, the saving grace of God in Christ has softened our hearts. 
And so it should be the desire of every true Christian not to condemn those who are where we once were. Again, let's not forget, that's where we used to be, dead in our sins, enslaved to sins. It shouldn't be our desire to condemn them. It should be our desire to have them come to know the One who made us alive in Christ and took away our sins. My question is, is that your desire? I think you know it should be. But is it actually your desire? So Jesus says we need to consider how we're judging. Are we evaluating or are we condemning? But He also says that we need to consider the consequence of improper judgment. Notice what He says in verse 2. He says, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. In other words, we love to look our noses down at other people, right? We, we know gossiping's wrong, but it's just, it feels so good, right? We love to participate in it. I know you would never find gossiping in the church. I'm not saying it exists, but let's just pretend that it did. Pretend for a second that church people like to gossip and talk about others and condemn them and pick them apart. Have some fried preacher for lunch. That's okay. I can take it. Jesus says what we need to do is we need to stop and consider a couple things before we do that. He says, number one, that when you judge others, you're actually inviting judgment upon yourself. And two, the measure that you use, the standard that you use to judge other people, that's going to be used on you. In your judgment. You see, when we take it upon ourselves to judge other people, what we're actually doing is, once again, we're making ourselves the judge. We're taking his gavel from him and we're saying, I'm the judge now. And because I'm the judge, I get to set the standard. But the problem is, we don't always like it when our own standard is used against us, do we? I mean, think back for a second. Think back to the last time that you were judging someone harshly. Again, I know that no one in here would ever do that, has ever done it. I'm not saying it. But again, let's just pretend, right? Let's pretend at some point in your life you've ever talked badly about another person and judged them harshly. Think back to all the things you might have said. You might have been talking with your, your friend or your spouse, gossiping, really just letting someone have it, ripping them apart. I want you to think about all the mean things you said. All the hateful comments you said. All the, the grudges that you, you've just been holding on to it for so long, it just came pouring out. Think about the lack of mercy and the lack of grace. Think about the hatefulness of it. And now here's what happens. The judge comes back to us and he goes, actually, that's my gavel. I'll take that back now. Thank you. And since I'm the true judge, I get to make the final judgment. And you just set the standard. So now I'm going to use that standard on you. Now here's my question for you, church. Does anyone in here this morning want God to judge them the way that we have judged other people? Anybody prepared to raise your hand on that this morning? Does anyone in here truly want God to judge us the way that we have judged others? To, to look at us in our lives, in our sins, and ruthlessly rip us apart and condemn us Withholding all mercy and grace and hope. Anybody ready to sign up for that this morning? No, I didn't think so. And Jesus says that's exactly what we invite upon ourselves when we judge others in that way. So, so here's what he's saying here. He's saying we shouldn't give what we're not prepared to receive. We shouldn't give 
what we're not prepared to receive. I know that we operate on the whole out of sight, out of mind principle, but try to remember this. The next time you're with a group of friends and they start gossiping and you start judging other people, you shouldn't give what you're not prepared to receive. Because whatever standard you're using, God says, I'm taking note. And that's the one I'm going to use on you. And it's interesting, have you ever noticed that those who are most critical of others are themselves often the most sensitive to criticism? It's a really interesting thing, right? They they can just give it to someone all day long. I mean, let them have it. And they can be the most hateful, critical people. But then the second that they start getting it back, oh no, it doesn't work that way. (laughs) They can't stand it. And and I know a guy like this. I see his posts on social media all the time. Had to unfollow him recently because I just couldn't deal with it anymore. But it seems like his entire purpose online and for being online is to criticize the church, Christianity, Uh, denominations, the Bible. Basically, he has the singular right interpretation of the Bible and and he should just be so thankful that God gave him the one and only right interpretation of the Bible because according to him, everybody else has gotten it wrong. And so every post that he posts, I swear, it is just criticisms and hateful comments about the church, about Christianity, about how we're all dumb, how can we not be as smart as he is, how can we not see this, on and on and on, right? Well, I saw one of his posts recently where he was doing this exact thing. He was criticizing the church because how could we possibly get this verse so, so wrong? And how could we not understand this? Praise the Lord, we have him on earth because he is telling us the right interpretation. And so he's just ripping into the church. And someone commented. And this person didn't offer any hateful comments, anything like that. Literally just ask a question. And the person was questioning this other person's hermeneutics his method of interpreting the bible and oh boy let me tell you that did not go over well with the original poster this guy went on an absolute tangent i mean he just starts defending himself he starts ripping into the other guy hateful comments insults jabs he's trying to prove his intellectual superiority he's just going on and on and i kid you not at the very end of his post his reply this is what he said He said, if you're done trying to get the speck out of my eye, you might want to take care of the plank in yours. And I lost it. I literally was reading that laughing out loud because I was thinking, bro, your entire existence online is spent critiquing others, criticizing others, posting hateful, mean, rude comments, just ripping into people. In the second that someone just questions you, you have a meltdown. Like, do you not see a problem with that? But it just goes to show this point, doesn't it? That the most critical people are the ones who are most sensitive to criticism. I like the way Martin Lloyd-Jones said it. He said, there are no people who are more sensitive to criticism than those who are always criticizing others. They dislike it and complain when it happens to them, but they never seem to remember this when they do it with respect to others. And isn't that the truth? In other words, we love to dish it out, but we hate getting it back, right? But we would do well to remember that God is the ultimate and true judge. And Jesus says here that God is taking note of our standard of judgment and he is fully prepared to use that against us in the final judgment. You see, citizens of God's kingdom are called to live to a higher standard. And that's us, isn't it, church? 
We're called to have that greater righteousness that Jesus has been preaching about this entire time. We are called to reflect His nature in the world in such a way that when people see us, they are seeing imitations of Christ. And so how can we be going around condemning others to hell when Jesus is standing there offering them salvation in Him? That's competing Christ, isn't it? Those are two different messages. How can we claim to be an imitation of Christ in the world and tell people you're a sinner and you are doomed? There is no hope when Jesus says, you're a sinner, but come to me and you'll find life. We would do well to remember the words of Jesus from earlier in this sermon. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, where he said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. It's a proper Christian mindset. James says in James 2, verses 12 through 13, So speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Now listen to me here, church. You can read it there in verse 13. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown mercy. No mercy. That's terrifying, is it not? Can we just admit that? When you think about your life and all the times that we have withheld mercy from others and we have just rushed into this critical, mean, hateful spirited of just condemning others, and then you read that verse, that'll straighten you up, won't it? That'll make you turn to Christ. As those who've received mercy and grace from Jesus, when we deserve nothing but His wrath and His condemnation, how can we not show that same mercy and grace to others? You see, we're reminded yet again of just how much we desperately need Jesus on a daily basis. We need His correction. We need the Holy Spirit's sanctification because if we were left to ourselves, guess what we're going to do? Exactly what Jesus condemns here. And so we need to consider the consequence of judging. We also need to consider our inadequacy as judges. I want you to notice what he says in verses 3 through 5. He says, why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. You see, Jesus is saying here, one of the reasons that we don't need to judge people is because most of the time, we're a bunch of hypocrites. Are we not? Most of the time, we're a bunch of hypocrites. He says, why are you focusing on that little speck in his eye when you've got a log in your own eye? And, and if you just want to try to understand like the, the graphic and hilarious scene Jesus is painting here, the word speck there refers to just a little bit of sawdust in the original Greek. That's what it refers to. Just a little bit of sawdust, right? And listen, as someone who does woodworking, I can tell you it's not fun having sawdust in your eye. Not fun at all. But this other guy, this word log, it literally refers to a load-bearing beam that they would put up in houses when they were constructing houses and buildings and things like that. So one dude has a little bit of sawdust in his eye, and this other guy has got a load-bearing beam coming out of his eye. Now, just picture this, okay? They're working on a job site together. Both of them start complaining that their eyes are hurting. And the guy with the plank in his eye turns, and he looks at the other guy, and he goes, you know... If you were to wear some safety goggles, you might could avoid getting so much wood in your eye. You're thinking, 
You've got a load-bearing beam coming out of your eye socket. How are you even talking to me right now? Like, we need to be taking you to a hospital or something. But that's the picture, right? That's what Jesus is saying. It's laughable, right? That's so funny that this guy with a plank coming out of his eye would try to give advice to someone about how to keep wood out of their eyes when all this other dude has is just a little bit of sawdust. In other words, he's saying he's in no position to be giving anyone any advice about how to keep wood out of their eyes because look at his own eye socket. Jesus is saying here that we are inadequate judges because most of the time, church, we are struggling with sin just as much as those that we're condemning. And here's the worst part. A lot of the times, we're struggling with the exact same sins as others were condemning. They just got found out. Theirs was made public. Somehow they were discovered. But there are Christians who will go around condemning others who are struggling with the exact same sins that they have buried deep in their hearts, praying that no one will ever find out. And I want you to understand something here. Jesus is not saying that you have to be sinlessly perfect in order to make some sort of judgment, right? Because you might be thinking, well, if this is the standard, how can we ever judge anyone? Well, that's not, Jesus isn't saying that. He's not saying you, have to be, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be sinless. What he's saying is this. If you're living in consistent, unrepentant sin, you need to take care of that before you go and start critiquing other people. Right? If you're living in a, a lifestyle of continual, habitual, unrepentant sin, you need to go and take care of that before you have the audacity to go and tell other people that they are going to hell because of their sins. Because obsessing over the sins of others usually means that we're turning a blind eye to our own sins, doesn't it? If I can just focus on how bad other people are, well, then I don't have to worry about how bad I am. If I can just focus on the sins of other people, then I can just ignore the sin that I've got going on in my own life. And to make matters worse, a lot of the times people are using the Bible in the midst of their hypocritical judgments. I literally watched a man who was a professing Christian. He claimed to be a Christian. He was a professing Christian who was an alcoholic. He was living in all sorts of unrepentant sin. I watched him scream at his wife and say, you aren't the Christian woman that you make people believe you are. You aren't the Christian woman everybody thinks that you are. You are a liar and a hypocrite. The Bible says, you must submit to me because I'm your husband. And I watched that and I thought, well, that's interesting. It's interesting that he knows that verse and wants that verse to be enforced and followed. But all the ones addressing his sin, all the ones addressing everything that he's struggling with, he just conveniently Forgot about those. Conveniently ignored those. Do you see the hypocritical nature of this church? This is exactly what Jesus is condemning here. He's saying if we haven't sought him out in order to help us be rid of the sin in our lives, then we have no right to condemn others for the sin in their lives. Because all of our judgments are going to be tainted by sin. And this ultimately calls into the question, why are we doing this in the first place? We love to judge other people. We love to gossip about them. We love to talk about them. We love to rip them apart. But the question is, why? Are we doing it simply to bring light to their sin? To show people how bad of a sinner they are? 
Are we doing it to shame them and make them feel guilty and bad about themselves? Or do we have a sincere desire to help them and see them be rid of sin in their lives and come to saving faith in Christ? What's our motive for this, church? Here's Jesus' point here. He says if our aim is to highlight rather than help, we need to be silent. If our aim is to highlight rather than help, we need to be silent. He says, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. In other words, when we've experienced the renewal that comes from salvation in Christ and the newness of life that comes from salvation in Jesus and from Him lovingly and tenderly and patiently removing the log from our own eye, Shouldn't it be the overwhelming desire of our hearts to have other people come to that same experience in Christ? Yes, we should confront the sins of others, but not as an act of condemnation, but as an act of love, wanting them to have in Christ what we have in Christ. But listen to me here, church. Let's say that you're in this position now. And God has saved you from this lifestyle of continual, habitual, unrepentant sin. And it is truly the desire of your heart to go and help other people and see them come to faith in Christ. I want you to understand this morning that not everybody is going to be in a position to receive that help. They could be struggling with sin and you might really, truly want to help them. And Jesus is warning us here, not everybody's going to be in a place to receive that. Notice what he says in verse 6, very quickly. He says, do not give to dogs what is holy. And do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now, I don't even need to explain that verse, right? It's pretty self-explanatory, you think, so we can just move on? No, okay, right, let's take a second then. All right, you just have to understand what's going on here. Dogs and pigs were absolutely despised in Jesus' day, all right? Dogs were not the, the lovable, domesticated pets that we have today, which are far and above superior to, to cats. Praise be to God. Amen. Uh, they weren't that. <laughs> I can't look at my wife right now. <laughs> they weren't that. They were these like rabid uh, scavengers that would just roam the streets looking for something to devour. And pigs were deemed unclean by God's law and by the Jewish people. And interestingly, both of these terms, dogs and pigs, were used as derogatory terms by the religious leaders of Israel to refer to the Gentiles, those who were without Christ. If you were not Jewish, they, uh, the Jewish leaders would call you a dog or a pig. What's super interesting is that throughout Jesus' ministry, he also used those terms, but he used it to refer to anyone who rejected him and the message of the gospel, which most of the time was the religious leaders of Israel. So there's a lot of contextual stuff going on here, but if this verse seems confusing at first, here's what you do. When you're reading the Bible and you encounter a confusing verse, all you have to do is just remember, well, what's the main thing? Jesus is saying he wants us to be a people of just judgment, right? In order to do that, we have to consider some things. We have to use careful consideration. We have to use careful discernment. And that's what he's been calling us to do this whole time. He says, don't condemn others. Use discernment and evaluate. He says, don't rush to call out the sins of others. Use discernment and see if there's any sin in your life that you need to take care of first. He's doing the same thing here. He's saying you need to use discernment when we are offering holy advice or wisdom in seeking to help other people with their sins. 
In other words, when you are finally in a position to go and be able to help other people with their sins, Jesus wants us to understand not everybody's going to receive that help with gratitude. There are some dogs and some pigs out there, some people who hate everything that has to do with God and His gospel and His word. And you might have a sincere desire to see them repent and come to faith in Jesus, to find eternal life in Jesus, to see them be rid of sin in their lives. And Jesus says, listen, if you do that, there are going to be some situations where people are going to attack you. They're going to accuse you. They're going to fight with you. They're going to scream at you. It's going to turn into an argument. and The whole situation is going to get out of hand. And he says, in those situations, it's better to just refrain from giving them what is holy until a time comes when they're ready to receive it. Right? That's what he's saying here. He's not saying, hey, give up on them forever, strike them from your list of people you need to witness to, and just move on. He's saying, no, no, just give them some time. Wait for them to be in a better place where they're able to receive what God has for them. It's kind of like, uh, it helped me think through this when I was thinking about Judah's epic meltdowns. And uh, if you've never witnessed one of these, they are epic, okay? I mean, for him, he, he starts screaming top of his lungs. He starts foaming at the mouth like he is rabid. And his hair starts curling because he's so hot and sweaty. And he's dancing in place for some reason like this. And he's just screaming bloody murder. And, and what I do in those situations, I'm a teacher. So I like to come in and I want to say, here's what happened. Here's why this is going down right now. Here's why you're upset. Here's what you did. Here's what I didn't like. Here's how we avoid it in the future. And as I'm trying to do that, he is just, ah, 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 hair curling right before my eyes. Just craziness, not receiving anything. And on more than one occasion, Anna has had to step in and go, you need to just let him calm down. He, he's not ready to listen to anything you have to say right now. He's not ready to receive whatever you want to tell him, so you need to just let him calm down, and when he's in a better place, then you come back, then you teach him, and we can talk about it. Well, that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. He's saying if they're going to be, if you're helping someone with their sin, trying to address it in their lives, and they're going to insult you and fight with you and argue with you and scream at you, and they are clearly in no position to receive what you have to offer, give them some time. Take a step back. Wait until they're in a better place to receive what God has for them. But at the end of the day, church, this morning, Jesus is calling us to use careful discernment in our judgments and in our attempts to help others with their sin. And this whole endeavor requires great care and patience. Because he's been talking about the eye a lot this morning, right? Think, just think about the eye for a second. It's one of the most sensitive parts of the whole body. If you ever get something in your eye, what happens? It closes up immediately, right? You ever watch someone try to put eye drops in their eyes for the first time? <laughs> Hilarious, right? Because they're just, their eyes closing on its own and they can't even hold it open. Your eye is one of the most sensitive parts of the body. It doesn't want to be touched. If you've ever tried to help someone get something out of their eyes, like maybe a, a baby or a toddler, you know that you've got to like pry it open with some pliers because every muscle in their body is just saying, close this thing, close it. They don't want you to touch it. Well, obviously this message is not about eyes, Jesus is talking about our hearts. Just as the eye is the most sensitive part of the body that you can touch, the heart is the most sensitive part of who we are, isn't it? And when you start preaching this message about dealing with your own sin before you open your mouth about someone else's, looking inward before you look outward, rushing to Jesus to do what you can't do for yourself, 
trying to help other people with their sin, that's going to hit the heart, isn't it? That's going to be the most sensitive part of who we are. That's going to be something that we don't want to hear at first. That's going to be something that we resist, that we turn away from, because it hurts, doesn't it? When Jesus says, I know you want to look at other people and judge them and condemn them for their sins, but I'm looking at you, and I'm looking at your heart, and I'm seeing what's going on in your heart, and I want to take care of that first. We're going to resist it. And what we need, thankfully, is our Lord, Jesus Christ. As the great physician, he has a steady hand and a gentle touch, and he, praise the Lord, is abounding in patience. Is anyone in here thankful for the patience of the Lord this morning? I know that I am. You see, our souls are in good hands as long as those hands belong to Jesus. And so what we need to do this morning is we need to seek him out to help us remove that log from our eyes, that we would be free from ongoing, unrepentant sin in our lives, and so that we would be in a position where we're fit to help others with their sin. And then, listen to me, church, then we need to have the courage to actually do so. You know people in your life right now who are dealing with sin, who are battling sin, struggling with sin, and you have said nothing about it. Jesus says, I'm not telling you to stay quiet. I'm saying look inward before you speak outward. We need to have the courage to address sin in the lives of others. And then we need to imitate our Lord's patience and mercy and grace throughout the entire process. Being willing to bear with others, church, as Jesus was willing to bear with us. Ultimately, we need to be a people of greater righteousness who utilize discernment as we seek to live for Jesus in a fallen world. Amen?